Hello and welcome to another episode of the Comedian's Paradise. Now this is a podcast aimed at helping comedians live life on their own terms, where we speak to scintillating, amazing and highly creative people that inspire us. Give us little nippets of ideas that we never thought of before. Now, if you like this podcast, share it with your friends. Give us a five-star review on Amazon or iTunes. And of course, subscribe and follow this lovely journey. Now, today's guest is absolutely amazing. Like she's, I just had a chat to her and had loads of interesting nuggets of information. And she has many different stories and is the perfect example of if you want to do something, you can do it. That's right. Let's welcome Lynn Ruth Miller. Thank you so much, Margaret. I'm delighted to be here. And we'll talk about this. This is really an interesting topic for me because I believe that anyone, anyone can be a comedian, as I said to you, but there are certain people that have a, a knack for it. They have a knack for it. But anybody can be a bread and butter comedian because it's also a craft. The important thing is exactly what you said. You have to do it on your own terms. And the other thing that's interesting is you have to find your audience. And the really great comedians have that knack, I was telling you, that, 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 that thing. their audience is universal. But most comedians are in a niche. Most comedians have special age or or demographics that particularly like them hmm. the particular because they represent that demographic and so that is so you have to find your audience the advantage with me is because everybody is afraid of aging everybody so i have a universal audience in that young people are afraid of aging old people want to think that they still are functioning so I have a wider demographic. So I had a leg up when I started because I had more people that that were interested in what I had to say. But I mean, you, you and Colonel Saunders are an example of like whatever happens, like it's never you're never too late to do what you want. And whatever the circumstances is, go out and get it and tell everyone else to fuck off. But you also have to remember that the rest of life creates the, those the, that ability to do it. If you've got a family, and I'm thinking people in my age group, because remember I started when I was 70. So if you have a yeah. family, you've got grandchildren, and you have children that you want to you want to take care of, uh, and you want you've got uh, obligations. You've got a bigger life. When I started comedy, I had no one. I was alone. I had no one. I had no relationships. I have no children, I have no family. So for me, for me, it was a time filler. You know, I thought, oh, what else do I have to do? And it was fun. And when you're 70, there's not a whole lot you're doing that's fun. This was fun. <laughs> and at that time I was still driving and this was in the United States. So I have nothing better to do than to drive to a gig and do the things that young people now, uh, I call paying their dues. You have to do a lot of open mics. But for me, I had a pension. I wasn't trying to earn a living. I wasn't tired from a day's work. So what? I just got in the car and drove and did it and had fun. And it led to where I am today. And so you, you started off in San Francisco, is that right? Okay. And you did a course. Okay. And then like, what was the, did you tell anyone that you were about to start in the stand-up? Or like, how did that go? I didn't, I did not know that stand-up was a career. That's why I'm a journalist. And when I saw San Francisco Comedy College online, I thought this is a ripoff. Well, I mean, they're teaching comedy. That's a ripoff. Because remember, I didn't know about stand-up comedy because I don't have a television set. I haven't had television since 1980. So I was totally unaware that stand-up comedy was becoming a career. I knew about the little stuff that happened on the Tonight Show, the late shows. I'd seen it, but I'd never, I never thought it was stand-up comedy. I, did, I didn't. So I thought, okay, I'm going to expose this. I'm a journalist, and I'm finally going to get a job in the New York Times for this wonderful article I'm going to write. I thought it was a, I thought it was a joke. 
it's Dan Comedy College of all the ridiculous things I've never heard of anything like that. And when I went there and I realized Curtis Matthews was the was the guy in charge, that he actually was training people to do something on stage. I didn't know that. I didn't know that stand-up comedy occurred on stage. I didn't know anything. And so I learned mic technique, but I have a natural um, knack. I've been writing um, columns for newspapers since I was 33 or 34. I've been writing columns and they all were stories. You know, they all had a little twist, something funny. So I was actually, when I think about it, I was actually in training for comedy from the time I was 32, which is what, almost 40 years. Um, I, I learned how to pull the comedy from a fact, see the ridiculousness of it. I knew that already. And then I realized, oh my God, this is, a, this is something people do. Like, you know, I was a big theater goer. Oh, they do that on stage. And I learned how to use a mic. And I love the people. Comedians are very, comedians are a very special breed. They're all mavericks. They're all people that don't like the way you ordinarily earn a living. They're all people that, that are not comfortable with the establishment. They want to do something that's themselves. And that they and they're also it's um nobody's gonna like me for this one, but it's sort of like addicts. Um addicts, one of the things about addicts is they wanna be loved. Comedians wanna be loved. We wanna get that laugh. We wanna be loved, but we don't wanna pay the price of being loved. So when you get that laugh, you don't have to do anything, you just say thank you and you're loved. When you're really in love, you have to do something like cook them dinner or go to bed with them. But when you when you <laughs> All you have to do is, and they love you. I mean, I have people follow me, follow me out after, after, after I get off stage. They follow me. They think I'm, I'm that wonderful, and I am not. But that's very lovely of them. So that's, um, so you're getting the love you you need, and it's like an addiction. Uh, you're getting the love you need without. Um, it isn't very costly. But I, but you know, if you've tried stand-up comedy, there's nothing worse than getting up there and not having any reaction at all. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Well, you just feel like you're a bit odd or something. You feel like um, you feel empty. It's it's like being in a club or something, and or like with fifty people there, and you piss or something in front of everyone. Like That's right. it's so embarrassing. Right. You just want to curl up, but. British audiences are very, very responsive. British audiences are very responsive. And you have to understand, particularly now, when we've been deprived of comedy for all this time, British audiences, they paid to get a laugh. So they're gonna give you the benefit of the doubt. And one of the things I learned, and this is from Amy Schumer, believe it or not, yeah. when you do your punchline, you pause so the audience knows you just said something funny and you pause and if you're like i am i don't pause long enough if they're not laughing i go right into the next thing but what you need to do is pause just wait they'll get it they very often particularly because british audiences are also very drunk uh, <laughs> they're very drunk they don't get the subtlety of what you're saying and it takes a little bit for it to come in. And the other thing is you don't want to ever, um, I call it, ride a laugh. Let that laugh happen. And don't you start talking till that laugh dies down. The most important thing in stand-up comedy is to slow down your set. Be patient. Don't rush it through. But slow down your set. Don't talk fast. They're not going to get it. So you're basically saying, right, guys in stand-up, full of saying good things come to those who wait. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> but that's that's part of it. The other thing is you have to really want to do it. Hmm. It's a lot. What is it that my friend Michael Capazzola said to me? My God, you've traveled an hour and a half to do 10 minutes. You'll get a tenor 
or you'll get 20 or you'll get nothing. And then you turn around and go home. What is that? When you work, you work eight hours and you get a decent salary. When you do comedy for years, you do, you do 10, 15 minutes slots and nothing. And you paid to get there. You don't think of it as paying, it's, it's transportation, but you paid to get there. Uh, I do agree. I think we had a conversation a while ago and I think I ran sort of a lot of free nights back then. And you, you said the comment that it's better that it's be paid. And I Eckler, the funny Feckler guy. No, that's not me. But I, I think other one. I did it with funny Fecklers. I said to him, I, I, I'm paid. Yeah, what did I say to you? I did terrible things. Well, I, I, I think it was a few years ago, about a year and a bit ago. But I think um, I'm more focused now. I'm running sort of paid gigs. I will run a few new, new material nights, but I do feel that this is a big problem in entertainment in that people get exploited. It's a situation that that couldn't be, that could be avoided. But I mean, human nature is, my dad always says that if people can get away with it, they will. And that's what goes across in acting, comedy and all entertainment people. I spoke to, um, what's it called, Comedy Hotspot. Um, what's it called, Jim Howarth. And he, like, from what he says about running gigs and the way he does it is, bloody fantastic and i think in london we got a lot of free gigs but yeah i i think with any new material that i'm gonna run i'm gonna run it one pound i mean i know it's not a lot but i think having it be ticketed is better than just making it free if you are charging money those people you've got performing are giving you your show and you need to pay them I don't care yeah. how little you pay them, you need to pay them. This is why comedians don't think they're of value because they have to do so many free gigs. I I have run gigs many times. I always pay my, my comedians. I may pay them as little as a pound because it may be, you know, past the hat. Always. They're giving me the show. If I didn't have them, I wouldn't have a show. If you charge to get in and I... I believe that, and I have been very insulting to people when I say to them, I think it's very unprofessional that you don't pay. You're charging admission. You, yeah. you, you pay your talent. If, 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 and you book also. Uh, do you have open nights where anyone can drop in? That's different. I did have, but I, <laughs> it's, it's a long story, but I, I did have one night. But it's, the thing about the pandemic, it's good that it gives you time to think about things. And see oh, what you're doing wrong. I agree. It gives you time to sort of reevaluate where you are and what you're doing. And I'll tell you something else: doing comedy on Zoom is not the same art as doing comedy live. Doing comedy on Zoom is a totally different thing because you're not getting the feedback. Even if you're hearing feedback, it's not the same as seeing that people are actually laughing and feeling the presence of those people. It's a different. It's also another one where you need to go slowly because those people are at home. They're not totally focused on you. When you're in, for example, in the gig I'm doing, those people will be sitting there with their drinks, hoping to laugh. When you're at home, you might think you're going to laugh, but you've got other things going on. The dog needs to be let out. Your wife is, is calling you. Uh, you might have to go to the toilet. You uh, you need a drink uh, when you're home. So to keep them, you need to also, again, slow down your delivery. I wish that I would pay attention to this when I actually did it. Because I, if I'm not getting a laugh, I, I go faster and faster. And, and, and it's wrong. Uh, because first place, I have an accent. Um, which of course I don't hear, but I have an accent, so you don't get my words as fast. I notice it because I'm hard of hearing. I notice it when um, English people talk to me. It takes me a minute to process a word when it's come through a microphone. I have no problem listening to you now, but when it's coming through a microphone, I have trouble processing because it warps the sound and it's an accent to me. Whereas if somebody's American, I have no problem hearing them. I think, well, that's fine. It's easy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. 
so you brought on something that brings a lot of questions from my side so um one of the things that i want to ask is and just give like a brief synopsis on it um how do you compare the san francisco and the british scenes in terms of how they work and what have been some of the challenges you've had to face because from my side i think the biggest lesson that i've learned in pandemic is whatever happens take things by your own hand and that's don't right. let anyone else decide your fate. That's exactly right. In San Francisco, the audiences are not that drunk. The audiences are harder to make laugh because not just that they're not drunk, but I do not believe that comedy audiences get the subtlety. They're, they're, they, they're very prestige-minded which also happens here. Um, if you are somebody that they've seen on TV, they're gonna laugh at you no matter what you say. Yeah. Uh, if you are somebody they've never heard before, because they're not as drunk and because they're not, they're not as easy to make laugh. American audiences are definitely harder. Um, and American audiences cannot handle, I'm trying to think here, cannot handle subtleties. They simply, one of the things that I find interesting is that I believe a British audience is much more intelligent than an American audience. And I think it's because you've been brought up on comedy with Monty Python and with uh, uh, Mike, uh, what is it, uh, Miller, uh, somebody Miller, what's his name? Um, Miller, Max Miller, um, Tommy, Tommy, uh, uh, Tommy Cooper, all those people. I think that you, um, you've been brought up on comedy. <coughs> and I think that you, um, I'm going to have to leave you and get a glass of water so you can talk because I'm going to choke on you. Sure. British audience, uh, British audiences are very anxious to laugh. And British audiences do another thing. British audiences are very loyal. If they like you, they'll travel all over just to hear you, which is amazing. American audiences are not that way. American audiences will follow you. British audiences do. They'll, they'll go anywhere. And they also are very, you can, you can do very subtle comedy to British audiences and they will get it. And I believe it's just a matter of being educated for comedy. The British audiences can handle much more um, subtlety. They can also, they don't need the one-liners. American comedians want one-liners. When I went back to America, after I'd been here, like I think for two or three years, and I went back, I thought, well, I'll do some of the new stuff I'm doing which is mostly stories. The American audience don't want that. They want set up punch, set up punch, set up punch. That's what they want. British audiences will take a story. Oh. Which is what a lot of British comedians do. Um, British, British comedians are better paid than American comedians. Much better paid. Um, but the top comedians in America are off the charts. I mean, they're really off the charts. They're, they're British, British, I don't know with British, the top ones, but I know that the there are three levels of comedy. There's the, the bottom ring, which are the new people and the people that are just not quite, they still don't have their sea legs. And then there's the middle part. And those are the bread and butter comedians. Those are the ones I've told you that don't particularly need to have that special knack. They need to be good storytellers and they need to, but, but they don't really need it. They're the bread and butter ones. They're the people you see as features. Uh, they're features usually. Uh, and there's a large amount of them and they're more of them than any other kind of comedian. And I'm in that group. I'm near the top, but I'm in that group. 
And then there are the ones that are the big names. And those people can pretty much decide where they're going to be and what you're going to pay them. But they are much, you can earn a living in that middle section. You cannot in America. You can only earn a living as a stand-up if you're one of the top ones. So are you saying, so you're, there's only the way you can make a living in America is if you're Kevin Hart or Bill Burr. Isn't there, there's not a level below that where you can make a living. That's right, where you can make a living, a good living, comfortable living. I mean, if you want to just, just barely make it. Um, I am not yet in England. I'm not making enough to support myself. I have a pension. However, many others, because also it has to do with how you promote yourself. Many others in my level are making enough to support themselves. So, can I ask one question on that? So with the college circuit, I hear that, like, what does, so in America, the what about the college circuit? Doesn't that pay quite a lot? And don't they have the road comics that... The road comics, well, remember, I could never get into that. I can't really speak authoritarian about that uh, because I never got a chance to travel there, whereas I do here. Oh, okay. They refused to send a 78 or 79-year-old woman out on the road, although I drove. Um, here, they have no problem. I get on a train and I go there. I, I do a lot for Mike Bottomley, you know, um, Spiky Mike. Oh, he's great. It, which is great. Uh, and I get to see more of the country and I, I make a, I, I, I enjoy it. And I, but what I've discovered is there are many, if I would promote myself, I would be a little bit more materialistic. I might be able to support myself, but it's a very modest living. Whereas the ones at the top, they, they're, they're living, they're great. And would it, does it also trans, I mean, as a performer in both America and the UK, it's very difficult, but in terms of promoters, there's, would you say there's quite, there's quite a few in the UK that make a great living as promoters, but is there that sort of way in America as well? But, but is, is, is it too far the other way in America where like you're getting, what's it called, Starbucks bloody money and the promoter's getting thousands for a gig? Oh yeah, you, the, 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 the I don't know, because I um, the promoters make a lot of money. It's it's a good business. Promoters make a lot of money. The PR people make unbelievable amounts of money here as well as in America. Unbelievable agents, if they're good at what they do, they make a good living as well. So what we are is we're the. We're the material they sell. We're we're uh, we're um, commodities, and we we don't get. Whereas the promoter shouldn't get as much as the performer, in in essence, and and and, and per show, the the promoter because he's booking three or four in in one thing, they make more money than the comedians. They make more money than we. But remember, I'm not accepted. Um, the comedians know about me and audiences know about me because I'm funny, but promoters and agents and PR people do not want anything to do with me because they don't feel I can, I'll be around long enough to make it worth their investment. Because the first couple of years a promoter or an agent takes you they're building you up and then they can start making good money. And they don't feel, it's been like that since I was 70. They don't feel that I'll last long enough. So, that, well, that brings to mind another thing. You can't do this for the money. If you do this for the money, you're not gonna be good at it. But you just can't do it for the money. You have to absolutely love doing it. I do. So you mentioned, so you're saying that promoters are a lot like boxing promoters in that when they get a fighter, they put them in front of a lot of nobodies, build them a good record before they start testing them and then putting That's them right. world title fights. That's right. Well, they don't They'll try to get you in anyway. 
but they get you they get you a name they build you uh, there's a wonderful um i can give you a wonderful example her name is sindhu v yeah they had very good promotion they put her out in front of people very quickly and very and very determinedly because she has lots and lots of money and can pay for all that promotion and she ascended very fast and not particularly and i i i hope she hears me because she'll shoot me she's not particularly good she doesn't live up to the name she has created because she's paid she's paid for promotion she's got it she also could do things that you and i couldn't do you get a you get a, a gig in um nottingham yeah she pay for uh, either a first class ticket or whatever to get there and then pay to get back and they'll give her 10 pounds she won't care or she'll stay overnight in a fancy hotel we can't do any of that we can't do that or at least i can't if i i can't take a gig for 50 if i'm going to pay 150 for my accommodation and and my transportation i can't do it she can and she did but she also has pr that has done exactly what you're saying they've tied her up with bigger names and gotten her into all these places and a lot of it is what people say about you yes i'm looking at someone like tom rhodes now i love tom rhodes tom rhodes is a doll um tom rhodes is not a laugh a minute but people think oh this is famous i'm and and I'm going to go see Tom Rhodes. So Tom Rhodes will get up and he'll tell stories. And some of them will be funny and some of them will be to make you smile. Someone in my situation has to get a ha 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 or I'm immediately not booked again. Whereas Tom can do a whole thing where there'll be like little rustles of ha ha, you know, that kind of thing. Because he's established, people know him and he's done the whole world. I've done the whole world too, but but it was through um, tenacious pushing that I did it. I made my own goods. So if you you can afford, if you've got a good agent, and you don't have to pay an agent, if you've got a good agent, that will help. But from what I hear, most of the agents are not that great, except with the big names they handle. You know. If you've got, if you can afford PR, which is thousands, they get you all over. And and then once you become a name people have seen, you don't have to be that funny. And that's not what I'm about. I yes. don't care. I don't care. I'll, I don't care about the money. I, I care about making them laugh. And if they don't laugh, if I were someone like Sindhu V who doesn't get any laughs because she's not funny, I would, I would, I would kill myself. She doesn't care. She's, she's, she gets another gig. She's got it because they have established her and made her a name. So she's got a name. I do not have an, I probably do have a name that I'm not aware of, but I don't with the promoters and the agents. So, so, so you take something like top secret. Have you done top secret? No, not yet. Top Secret is wonderful. You love it. I've been working for Mark Rothman for nine years. They just booked me in the new material night. That's where I've got three new material nights and one regular night where I'm uh, the bottom feature. I've been working for him for nine years. I have never failed. Never. Mm -hmm. I, I, I am. That's a good audience for me. Um, if I get a bunch of really, really established, wealthy, senior men, they won't like me that much. <laughs> they won't. The women will, because the women will say, oh, I wish I could do that. Men won't like me. They, I won't get anything. I went to Bella Ricky, and that's Essex, and oh my God, I, I look terrible. But top secret is young, hopeful, open youngsters. They don't call themselves youngsters. They're maybe 40, but they're youngsters. And they love me and I have never failed for him nine years. I've been here seven. I used to come from Brighton from Brighton and from um, Edinburgh to do a show for Top Secret, his Sunday shows. And that's where they booked me. 
because I am not representative. Yeah, that's and that's what we sort of said got got to in it in a way in that with comedy, it's you see already with a lot of comedians they do things their own way, the great ones, and this is a lot of things are sort of how can they sell you? How can they make money out of you? It's it's a bit like McDonald's in a way they they want to put you out there. How much money that you're a commodity. Yeah, but but also. The, the wealthier, the bigger comedians can do things in their own way. But all of us as comedians, we're all mavericks. None of us wanted the nine to five job. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing it. And a lot of comedians do do a job and then do the comedy. And that's their release from conformity. Uh, there's a, a comedian uh, who does not push himself who is absolutely magnificent. His name is Nick Ellery. He should be. Ooh, yeah. He should be at the O2. He's that funny. He's good, yeah. But he doesn't push himself enough. And I know, I understand, I understand. So he thinks he's not that great. I'm telling you, he's marvelous. He's absolutely marvelous. His comedy is is just beautiful. It's It's sharp, it's gentle, and it flows. He's wonderful. Um, but you take, there's some of the others, I don't want to name them because I don't want to hurt their feelings. And I don't, They're mediocre, but they push themselves like crazy. And they're doing better. So those of us who don't, I think to themselves, well, I'm, I'm really not as good as he is. And then you hear them and you think, but nobody's laughing. I judge... Um, I judge the old comedian contest. There's a man named David Mills. David Mills is outstanding. David Mills yeah. is one of the best comedians we've got in Britain. I, I say that unequivocally. Anyone can say anything they want to me. He is one of the best. He's intelligent. He's clever. And he's funny. And he sees the funny twist. He's, he's it. It. And he was in the senior, um, the senior, the, the, the over 35 old comedian contest and he didn't win and he didn't win uh because other people who brought people got louder laughs than he did the people that won not one of them held a candle to david mills not one and i sit there because i'm hard of hearing and all i do is hear the laughter and i knew that david didn't make it and it made me sick because he was the best comedian. He's one of the best comedians in this country. There's, um, oh, what, Tom, uh, what's his last name? I'm, I'm blocking his last name and I just saw his beautiful picture. He's absolutely wonderful, Tom. He's absolutely marvelous and I have not seen him. I'll think of his last name in about 10, 15 minutes. It'll come, whoop, and I'll say, Tom, what's Tom's last name? Um, he's He's wonderful. And he's very much at the top of the middle. And he should be at the top. There's a guy named Stephen, whose last name I always forget. He also should be, he's Scottish. He should be. Oh, McLean. No, no. I'll know him. I just, he just had a birthday. He's exceptionally funny. He doesn't think he is because he doesn't get the bigger gigs. He should, he's wonderful. People who know how to push themselves. That's another thing you have to realize with this, which is so demoralizing. It isn't the talent. It isn't the funniest that get ahead. It's the ones that have the pushiest agents and that are the pushiest. There's a wonderful man named Dave Lewis who is a marvelous MC, and he pushes himself. And he's, he's funny. But by God, you don't get him unless you pay him enough. He's very quiet when he hears, because I'm as funny, if not funnier than he is, and I'll be doing a gig for 10 pounds. And he's very quiet because he would never do it. He'll say to them, you can't have me. And he's an outstanding MC. We don't get MCs like that. Most of our MCs are a little bit mediocre. They're good, but they're not great. He's great and he knows it. And he, you can't get him unless you pay him what he wants, which is, what I get most of the time. So talent has nothing to do with how much money you make. And so you, you're saying that a lot of it's to do with nepotism and what's it called? 
being a charmer of people and knowing how to be no, good with people. It has to do with you pushing yourself. It has you you getting an agent, you having money. The comedians with money do much better than the comedians without. You can pay for stuff. You can you you there's a man named Daniel Kaner, and I absolutely love him. And this isn't comedy, he does singing. But he and I started the same day, the same time, same year. I started the year before he did. And he started in his comedy singing. It's 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 Jewish comedy singing. He's excellent, but he's got a ton of money. And you go to uh, Edinburgh when you walk into Edinburgh and, and, and for the comedy, and you'll see posters that are they cost him over a thousand, and there'll be 10, 15 of them all over Edinburgh. I don't have that kind of money. I can't possibly do that. And people say, oh, Daniel Kaner, I know him. Sure, because they've walked into a poster of him everywhere. He's done it. He's good. I love Daniel. He's wonderful. But, but he paid for the prestige that he's got. So did Sindhu V. So um, the, the, they do it and they push. There's a woman named Ria Lena. She's very, very good. But she also was very full of herself. And when you, if you've got the courage to just go there and say, I am marvelous and you can't have it, you do it enough, they believe you even though you're not. She is that good. But she, she's pushed herself. Oh, most, yeah. Oh, most comedians don't have that kind of ego. That's why we do, well, Nick is a perfect example. That's why we do comedy. Because we don't have that good ego. And so we don't. He's a perfect example. I can name you some others, but I'm not. Ah, what's his name? Is it Albert? Is it Arthur? He's he's unbelievably funny, but he doesn't push himself. So he hardly ever. And I've got all these names. And afterward, if, if I have time, I'll send you who the real names, what their names are. Andrew. Andrew is his name. And I booked him. He's amazing. He should be everywhere. But he's not really pushing himself that much because it takes money, it takes time. And I want to just do my jokes. I don't want to spend my time making telephone calls. I don't want to spend my time saying, why don't you take me? I don't want to. Um, mm, is it Ian Stone? He's excellent. Oh, him. Yes, he's, he's awesome. But he also has made it. I have no idea how, but, but he's made it. But, I hear him when I talk and people say, oh, she thinks she's better than everyone. No, no, no. I think I'm better than many of the people in that middle, that middle section. Ian Stone is funny. I'm not that funny. Um, Scott Capurro. Scott Capurro is funny. You get him up there without a set and you just say, start talking. Funny. He's marvelous. Oh. He deserves everything he's gotten. But many of them that are up there don't. What's his name? Michael, Michael, God, what's his last name? Michael, he's horrible, but he's got a lot of money and he puts on shows and he's, he gets there. He got a gig in America with a woman named Lisa Godeldig, who is, um, he puts Hitler to shame and he, he got that gig. And I thought, well, Jesus, but you're really not that funny at all. Mayor, Mark Mayor, Mark Mayor, that's his name. Okay. He pushes himself and he's determined. I don't spend the time pushing myself. I want the gig. I spend the time doing the jokes. But I'm not going to because I don't fit the picture. Because remember, the people that book comedy are businessmen. And you've got to remember that and you've got to allow that. What I have done, which is why people now know me, is I've made my own gigs. What I did is I went, I went to um, Vietnam, Jakarta, Cambodia, uh, Dublin. I've been doing Dublin, um, Singapore, um, Bangkok, um, Kuala Lumpur, Manila. I made those gigs. And the first time I go, I'm just a feature. And the second time I headline. But I paid for my way over there. See, the other comedians won't do that. They say, no, you're going to book me. You have to pay. I have this wonderful, wonderful friend. Her name is Sarah Louise Young. And I absolutely love her. And she says, 
I never leave the house for less than a hundred pounds. If I would say that I would never leave the house. And for me, particularly for me, I love doing this. I'm relating to people. I'm living in the world. How many 87 year old people are living in this world? I'm in this one. I'm getting, I'm getting so many perks. I don't, I want the prestige of being booked as a headliner. I want the prestige of getting a lot of money. I don't give a shit about the money. I want them to laugh. I'm going tonight and I think it's just past the half tonight, but it's for Paul Merrick. That's another one. So funny. So oh, funny. nice guy as well. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's right. And he should be much higher up. One of the things, so you brought on an, each, each, each bit was saying it's like, oh, you made me think of this. Now I want to ask this. <laughs> so one of the things that I'm interested in asking now is uh, how would sort of quirky acts like Tommy Cooper or someone like who does all these weird zany things do in America? Like how would like how how would that work if they went over there? Well, they're very good because they're one-liners. I mean, what's Tommy Cooper's? He's, I have a couple that I used to know, but the one I love is Tommy Cooper says, I cleaned the attic with the wife. I went up to clean the attic with the wife. The dust, the cobwebs. <laughs> but she's good to the kids. That's, you have to think about that. That's marvelous. Uh, he's a, he's a, a, Americans do better with slapstick comedy. They do better with one-liners that are, outrageous um i'm i'm uh, my my famous one-liner was in america the good thing about dating at my age is i don't have to worry about meeting their parents they love things like that <laughs> here, here i can do a whole thing about my my difficulty with getting up in the morning because i'm old and i'll have little funny lines in between british audiences are fine with it American audiences won't sit through it. But, so you you feel that. So how does it work? Because I, I remember watching um, what's his name, Jerry Seinfeld and Bill Burr. Like they did two hour shows, but I'm sorry to say they are the best. Some of the best comedians out there, I suppose, in terms of yes, But I fell asleep in both. Yes, <laughs> that's right. Because they don't have to try that hard. They don't have to try that hard and they're not that funny. Listen to Tom Rhodes. I love Tom Rhodes, but he's not that funny. And he's making a fortune. He's, he's a name. I don't, I'm trying to think about this because believe me, I would love that kind of prestige, but I'm not willing, uh, I'm not willing to pay the price. And the price is you gotta push yourself, you gotta, hurt other people you got to step on people's toes you've got to yeah get that agent i have to call every agent there's a wonderful guy named mike capizola who came here and decided he was going to crack the comedy field and i said to him god how did you do that it took me three years to get into that place you got it in the next day he said because i'm like a tiger he says i call them every day and i say when when are you going to put me up there when when and then when he gets up, he calls him again. He says, when are you going to book me again? When? And the squeaking wheel gets the, gets the oil, gets the grease. I don't do that. I don't do it not because, not because I'm a sweet, modest old lady. I don't do it because I don't have the time. I'm, I'm learning new material. I'm writing a new show. I have a, a one-woman show at the Phoenix on the 8th. I got to get that thing together, June 8th. And I'm doing it, I'm doing a preview of it on the 7th in Brighton. I got to get it together. Um, and television is a an immense step. There's a guy named, what's his name? Raganthan, sweet Indian guy, not funny at all. Writes a column for the, the, the Guardian that's horrible. But because they know his name, he's great. They think he's funny. And they say comedy is, uh, oh, by the way, they say comedy is subjective. 
I maintain, and this is something else, you know, everybody that's listening to me that's comedian is going to hate me. Uh, I maintain that funny is funny. If it's funny, they're going to laugh. Paul Merrick has a joke about, I love women in uniform. That's why I go to Greg's. You can't beat that. <laughs> you can stand there. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're Seinfeld. I don't care if you're Tom Rose. I, you can't beat that for the funniest. That's just ridiculous. That's so funny. He's there's a there's a kid named Jason who is funny, but not that funny. But he has a wonderful joke. And it's um my mother said to always be polite to old people. So we were walking on main on the high street and saw an old lady with 35 packages. And I got out of my pram. <laughs> it's because it's ridiculous to help her with the packages. I got out of my pram. Uh, all of us have a couple jokes that are absolute gems, but you gotta have 30 minutes of it. Hmm. One of the interesting things with David Lewis is he's absolutely marvelous at dealing with the audience, but he doesn't have a set. He didn't have any jokes. There's a guy named Tony Sparks who is like David Lewis, but he's in America. Most wonderful MC. Oh my God, he's a wonderful MC. He's got a few jokes. What is it? I just lost 140 pounds. I divorced her. That's a, yeah. he's, he's got a few, but he is just an MC. He gets the audience all souped up. They love it. They love his, his comments in between. Funny, funny man. I booked him because I love him. I still do for a show in the town that I was living in when I was in California. He couldn't do a set. He's not funny because unless he's, he's playing off the people in the, and that's another thing. We all have our, our funny. We all have what's what we're good at. And we make a mistake and we don't, we keep trying to be a generalist when you should be a specialist. You just my, described okay. good social media marketing. <laughs> yeah. My my jokes about being old are really funny because everybody thinks that old people are inept. When I say, today I touch my toes, it took me 45 minutes, but I managed to do it. Yeah, they love that. <laughs> I went for, I, I decided I was going to walk a mile. I left at six in the morning and I finally got home at 10 at night. You know, they love that. It's not true. There's a lot of truth to it though. But um, That's the other thing. Your comedy, uh, some of the most popular comedy in Britain are people that do characters. Sal Bernstein is one, Ada Camp is one. Um, what's Sammy's, I forget what Sammy's character is. She's a woman from Essex. They're all very good. They're playing characters where we recognize who they are. The most important thing with your comedy is it has to be believable. Mine is believable because look at me, I'm 87 and you can see I'm 87 and I'm making jokes about being 87. You know, I don't want to date old men. I don't want to change their diapers and give them pills. Well, that's what you have to do. That's it. Not a nurse. Uh, that's 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 un that's believable. If you say, ah, the joke I've got about the nice thing about dating at my age, you don't have to meet their parents. A 50-year-old woman said to me, and she's a wonderful woman. God, I loved her. She said, um, can I use that joke? And I said, yeah, yeah, because it's a joke. I don't believe in stealing material. I don't believe you can, because I think 50% of the joke is who's saying it. So I don't, you can take my jokes, it won't work. <laughs> I'm the only one that can do my jokes. It'll be funny if you do it and then they laugh at you is because of, because of who you are. So I said to her, sure, go ahead, do it. And she did, but she was 50. And the nice thing about dating at my age is you don't have to meet their parents. Her parents were still alive and people knew it. And so it didn't get a laugh. She said, you know, it didn't work. I said, well, give it 20 years. It'll work. <laughs> Use it. 50% of what you're doing up there. Oh, 75% is your connection with that audience. Okay. So you, you believe that there's no such thing as you, people can try doing joke stealing, but it will only work to a degree. And you should, you don't think you should be bothered by it. I'm not bothered at all. I'm not bothered at all. I make my jokes funny. If they can make my jokes funny, fine. There's nothing new under the sun. 
I'll never forget when Rialina told me that I was stealing jokes. And I, and I said, well, what joke did I steal? And she told me, and I remember when I made it up at the computer. So someone else evidently used it. It was about marrying a gay guy. And when, which which one was, I have several jokes. Of, was, um, was it the one, no, it wasn't the second one. Ah, I caught him with the bellboy and I said, what What are you doing? He said, I'm showing him my pas de do. I said, why, this is a gay man on our wedding night. I caught him with the bellboy. Why is he crying? Because he wanted a tip and I gave him the whole thing. And I remember laughing myself sick at that one. That's a filthy joke. I laughed at it. So Rhea said, yeah, somebody in 1987, they said that. And I said, good. There's nothing new under the sun. I wrote it. I came up with it. So did that person. Fine. I'm not in, I'm, I'm, this isn't a competition. I'm, I'm not in this to compete. I'm in this to get laughs. And anybody that is in it for a competition, and that was one of the problems with Riolina. She wasn't liking that I was getting too many jokes. However, she is better than I am. She doesn't have to compete with me. She's better. She's funnier. I've noticed that in, since I met her, she's better relating to the audience, but she's always been good. She's just always has been very good. I think she's funnier than I am. It's no competition. I have no problem with her being funnier. The, the thing about her that I'm quite happy about is that she's been doing comedy for ages, hasn't she? And like to see her finally get on TV and get the agent and get the success. I actually can So well she done. She everything she's gotten. She's worked for it and she's funny. And she, she's, yes, so you, you see her as an example of the right way to make it in a way. I think so. Tiffany Stevenson is another one that I think is absolutely right the way she's doing it. She's running a show, The Old Rope. She's funny, works hard. She's she's wonderful. I'm not so, as sharp as she is either. So one of the things that I want to, because you mentioned a lot of things, and we I think one thing that's been a theme from our, from our chat is you be your own person, you make it your own way. And don't try to compete. Yeah, because I spoke to another, I won't say his name, but I had another comedian on a podcast who's been going for a while and he says that this, I mean, there are people that do make it, like what you say, but there's a lot of people that don't make it who have that mindset. And he says that this industry is choking on a lot of people that rather than want to be funny, want to be famous. That's it. And that's absolutely right. I will, I will absolutely write, and I don't give a damn whether I'm famous or not. But I want, wait a minute, do I? I, I don't care about the money, but I care about the prestige. I care about the recognition. I get very angry that the comedy store will not book me. They will not. I did their free twenty, their free ten minutes. I, I did well. He will not. He said to me, "All you talk about is being old." So I said, so what else do you want me to talk about? Do you want me to talk about being young? That was in 1930. Do you think anybody's going to remember that? <laughs> you think anybody's going to remember when we had lollipops? No, nobody's going to remember that. I need to talk about now when I'm old and dealing with a young population. What is it? I, my opener is, hello, I'm Lynn Ruth Miller. I'm the bitch that takes your seat on the bus. That's, I'm the bitch that takes your seat on the bus. I am. I'm it. Um, but but I, so I do get angry that I'm not recognized. So, so you're saying, well, is that fame? Don't particularly want it. Well, well, people, I want to be recognized by the industry. I think that's what it is with me. I want to be recognized by the industry. You've got to really love it. I happen to really love it. Someone said to me, well, if this is your job, did you have other, did you hate all your other jobs? No, I loved my jobs, but they were jobs. This is a way of life. One, one thing that has sort of that I've thought about in regards to comedy is in the New York circuit and in the London circuit, you can easily get in a stage where you just perform in front of other comedians and small audiences, and you can be stuck there. And one of my thoughts is like my thought is I'm not really I don't want to make comedians laugh. I want to make the audience laugh. That's right. That's why open mics are a farce. Nobody's there but other comedians who aren't paying any attention to you unless they're worried that you'll be funnier than they are. It's a farce. 
yeah and that's that's one of the thoughts that like people say you got to do your dues in there but i feel like you do your dues but you do your dues in the right places you're doing that for two reasons you're doing that for the industry and you're doing that to be comfortable with your set you have to be comfortable with your set for example i'm going tonight and i'm not really sure what i'm going to be saying but i've been doing this now for 17 years and i can assure you that i can do 20 minutes of just reaching in here and pulling out something i'm comfortable with my set because i paid my dues i did it in front of people You've got to do your set in front of people. And that's the open mics does that for you. You get comfortable with your set and the industry hears you. That's all you you. And then I'm trying to think how to how to phrase this. The only way you know if you're funny ah, is when you're doing it in front of an audience. If the audience isn't laughing, do not come to me and say that was a tough audience. The audience paid to laugh. They want to laugh. You weren't funny. Your timing was off. That can that can ruin a joke. You put you put your a word in the wrong place. It's not funny anymore. It's only funny if you do it right. And that's part of the game. You're like trying to figure it's like it's like playing chess or something but if that doesn't work you don't get everything you want okay so how do i go around that to make people laugh rather than just That's in this book. you say to yourself i know that line is funny why are... i'll give you an example when i started comedy and i was talking about the gay guy the judge and this is true the judge said to me when we divorced he said thank god there were no children my punchline. If there had been children, there would have been a second coming. And God knows there wasn't a first. That's a very funny joke. That's referring to Jesus Christ. Nobody ever laughed at it. I did it for two years and it just fit in. So I kept doing it. But I kept thinking, something's wrong. That's funny. And then I, by, that, by the time I, it became a part of me, instead of telling a joke, it was just part of the flow. It wiped up the house. It's your timing. It's the way you say it. It's a, you know that a joke is funny. You know that that's surprise because you know what a joke is. It's surprise. It's hmm. not a surprise. I didn't expect you to say that. It's surprise. That's all it is. Make them a comment and then you have a conclusion that doesn't make sense. That's all. Yep. That's that's a joke. When I, I when I tell my stories. They have little jokes in them. In other words, they aren't jokes that I would use as a single joke. It isn't funny enough, but it's funny. They're they're smiling. But if they're in the story, they're laughing like crazy because they're in the story, and the story is is it's getting more and more ridiculous. And that's and that's those are my stories. If they're not laughing, it's your fault. And God, comedians, all comedians will hate me for that. They'll say, "No, it was a tough audience." No, no. I always try to go early to listen, listen to the comedians so I can see what's making the audience laugh. A lot of Mike Bottomley's shows are with conservative, middle class and upper middle class British retired or established people. And they don't always laugh at some of the really Oh, for example, I have a joke that says if I were on uh, if I were on Naked Attraction, they wouldn't have to raise the camera. Mike Bottomley's audience would not catch that. Liverpool got it right away because you know, Naked Attraction, you're naked, and I said they wouldn't have to raise the camera because everything I've got is lying around my my feet. It's all dropped. They got it immediately. The British upper they they didn't get that. Then first they say don't know what Naked Attraction is. And they and they're not they're not putting two and two together because I don't know what it's it's um I can do a, a thing at um at Angel that I can't do at um at some of Mike's gigs if it's got the older people and that is I I thought a rim job was fixing tires they love that and then I say someone told me if I go to Brighton there's somebody that can do both if you know Brighton. That's a killer joke. If I would do that for Mike's, they have no idea what I'm talking about. Sure. 
they thought a rim job was fixing tires too. They don't know what it is. Yeah, that's, you have to listen and know your audience. You have to, this is, they paid, they paid to hear you. Even if they only paid in time, they paid. Mm. You're selling them a product and that product is you. So that's why I say to you that it isn't, the ones that have made it big are no longer selling. They've already sold. And I think a lot of them, just like you said, they, they don't bother anymore. Although I don't, I don't know a Stuart Lee because Stuart Lee is not funny to me, but he's established and his audience love him. They buy his books. They love him. And that's what it's all about. He doesn't need me to laugh at him. I haven't paid to go to his shows. His audience loves him and he's earned it. That's another thing, he's earned it. He started at the beginning, he's an intellectual comic. Can't resent someone else's success. That's a mistake also. Ah, that, that happens a lot. I always hear someone, yeah, that, that I hear a lot. <laughs> I'm going to have to leave you pretty soon, I think. Yes, and it's funny that you say that because now's the time that I want to ask you on, like, what's your biggest lesson in life and what would you like to plug and share? Got a book. It's called Getting the Last Laugh. <clears throat> it's on Amazon. And I have a new book, which is called Ridiculously Old and um, Getting Better. And I wrote it eight years ago, but I got a real publisher for that. This I published this one. And that's on Amazon as well. I'm doing a one-woman show at the Phoenix on June 8th, the Phoenix Artist Club. I've got a Radio 4 special July 2nd at 7.30. That's it. I'm having, right. I'm having fun. And what, what's your biggest lesson in life? Believing in yourself. No matter what. Yeah, I believe in myself. I believe I'm worth it. Like the Spice Girls. <laughs> no, L'Oreal, L'Oreal. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I believe I'm worth it. Um, yeah, I just believe I'm worth what I want. I always have. I tell you, I, I don't know why. <laughs> There's been an awful lot of reasons, but I always have. I've always believed I was worth it, and that's that's important. Um, okay. I don't believe in failure. I don't believe there's such a thing as failure, but I believe you have to you have to you have to earn what you get. Who was the guy, Oliver? Um, I know, what's his name? No, no, no. He wrote, um, he wrote The Outliers, Malcolm Gladwell. Hmm. And he says, there is no instant success. He's right. There's no instant success. There's a wonderful comedian, her name is Shazia Mirza, and she had instant success and she wasn't ready for it. She had to take a year off. She's got it now and she's earned it. Um, that's not a very nice lady. But a very funny lady. I'm not as funny as she is. It's very funny. Hmm. Uh, but there is no instant success. You have to earn it. And that's that's a proper win. It's it, it's better when you earn it rather than have it given to you. Yeah, well, Shazia, uh, that was what happened. She she was so funny. She did um, she did something like ten minutes, and she was in a burqa. You know. Everybody thought, oh my God. So they started booking her and she didn't have 30 minutes. But she was smart enough to know. She took some time off, came back. Yeah. Um, she's a very funny comedian. That's the way, way it is. Okay. If you're a comedian, the idea is to be funny. But a lot of comedians are not, and they're still big, they're still big names. That's all right. This is you can't, I've said this already, don't resent someone else's success. Let them have it. Your success will be different. Hmm. It will be your own, but you got to go after it. 
in your own way, in your own way. Right, that's it, guys. Listen up. You got to be like Mike Tyson. You got to be like Rocky Balboa. Right, listen up. You got to go for it like a tiger, like Michael. <laughs> and that's what I have to go out for, like a tiger. You have to love what you're doing. You take someone like Rob Mayhew. He just loves what he's doing. I don't know whether you think he's funny or not. I happen to think he's funny, but he loves what he's doing. He can't do it enough. But I love. I'll call their house and his wife will say, I have to call the resident comedian. The resident. He loves it. That's what it's about. Yeah. But do it for the love of it. Now, I just want to say one thing, Lynn. I, I've, I've, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. I hope you've enjoyed I hope you've enjoyed it. Yes, I loved it. Now I have to do all the millions of things I've got to do to get ready for my gig tonight. I've loved it, Marvin. And I hope I see you uh, at, at, a, at a gig. I hope I hear you do comedy. And, and I know you'll be fine because you're listening to the nuts and bolts of what makes it happen. I'm telling you to get my book. It'll analyze a set for you. It does everything like say, if you don't get a laugh, you do this. Do I get a discount? <laughs> it's on Amazon. They don't give you a discount. It's full price. You and and it isn't on Kindle. We put it on Kindle, but it was not properly formatted, and so you can't read it. So nobody can get it on Kindle. I've, I've wanted it on Kindle. You can get the other one on Kindle, but that won't help you. Uh, the ridiculously old one. That's not going to help you with comedy. This one will. What? Let's do it. <laughs> anyway, thank you. I've got to get started. This is cool. Take care. And, and we'll see each other again. I we know, will. darling. Bye for now.